From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'm Chase Parm, and today Neil McCready is going to speak with Mike Dettier, a really good football mind for you today. They're going to talk a lot of different football topics over the next hour and 15, 20 minutes, something like that, on this podcast to start your week. Podcast is brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Use the Speed Pass Plus app to take care of uh, your fuel buying purchases there without having to touch much. They will take care of you. Again, Speed Pass Plus app. Take advantage of that there at the Oxford Exxon at all Blue Sky locations in Mississippi. Or go next door to the Oxford Crystal where you can still use the drive through when you get around to the window, put your name in the uh, the fishbowl available on April 27th. That's a week away. They're going to choose one customer from every What a Combo Crystal location in Mississippi. That person will win free crystal for a year there from the uh, the Oxford Crystal. They're also feeding first responders, feeding people around the community every single week as well. So doing some good things there with uh, Blue Sky and What a Combo. And coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900. phone number, Highway 25 South in Amory. Corey will take care of you however is needed to uh, get your car buying done during this uh, this stage of our year, stage of our life right now. So call him, see what he can do for you. Quotes within 15 minutes during business hours. He wants to be your car guy, wants to be your truck guy, and again, he will take care of you. Now here's Mike Dettier with One Neil McCready. Mike Dettier joins us here on the podcast. First of all, thank you so much, sir, for your time. I hope you and uh, yours are safe and well. Oh, well, we're doing fine. Uh, family's doing uh, pretty well, and uh, it's um, you know it's an area that's been hit hard uh, with the virus. And uh, I sort of believe that early on. Uh, you know, uh, I live in a little bit more older community where um, you got underlying issues uh, that's involved with it. Uh, uh, people got cash here, but not that they would tell you, but they do. But, uh, you know, it's a little bit more high blood pressure and uh, diabetes and uh, uh, being a little bit overweight, heart issues and, uh, and some hard-headedness. You know, I'm going to do things my way, and then, you know, they get sick with it. So, uh, but, uh, you know, and I've had a few people pass away. Uh, actually, one of uh, my former neighbors uh, was a state representative, uh, 54 years old. Uh, he had some underlying issues and uh, passed away with it. And then uh, Bobby Bear's dad, uh, Mr. Bob. And, I saw uh, that. And then uh, Tom Dempsey, who's a friend of mine. We worked together for, you know, years, television, radio. Tom had had dementia, um, and uh, he had basically uh, been in, at the uh, Lambeth House since, uh, uh, I think, 2013. So he had been there a few years. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, sad to see it uh, come to an end like that. And, you know, the vulnerable uh, people of a certain age and uh, with some issues and even younger people with uh, some issues. So, uh, But it looks as though it's... Uh, it's has leveled off and so that that's the good news of it and we were in the midst of you know you know that mardi gras season was a breeding ground i don't don't care what any expert wants to tell me you can't have a million and a half people from all over the country and all over the world uh 
visit and some incidents uh, not pop up because of it. It's just you know, just part of it. You know, it's it's funny you say that. Uh, that part of the country, South Louisiana, the New Orleans area, is such a uh, is such a social place. It's it's a hospitable yeah. place. It's a culture. Part of the culture is you know is, is community, if you will. It's uh, it, it you you knew in a place like that. Not that the people would be stubborn or that they wouldn't obey or that they whatever, but it's just that it's it's so ingrained in in people who have uh, who have grown up there and lived the majority of their lives there to be social to be a part of the community to be uh to be out and about to help one another and stuff that this was just the isolation part of this alone was going to be a challenge yeah uh, i got a no length and uh she's uh early 80s and um you know uh, I, I checked on her and just to make sure everything's okay. And she was like, "Oh yeah." She says, "I'm I'm good." She says, "There's about six or seven uh, people around my age, and uh, we, uh, you know, we we all go to the Walmart and CVS, and we watch Mass in the morning." I was like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" So y'all got eight of y'all in one house. <laughs> You know, you know, you know, watching them. God, come on, you know, you don't quite get it that that they don't want that either. You know, and so, yeah, oh yeah. And she was like, oh, she said, no, you know, no, listen, if that's what's gonna mess me at the end, she said, so be it. But that's the way we're gonna do it. And then one of them has diabetes real bad, and she she had a fever like a hundred two, and. Uh, um, that sort of thing. She got an infection from the diabetes and on her foot, and then that that split up the uh, the mass in the morning for the eight. But I mean, you know, I, I, again, just stuff like that. You know, they had done it, and you know, they didn't feel nothing was wrong with it. And you know, that dealers, well, we all, you know, we all kind of hang out together. Well, you know, that's kind of how it spreads. <laughs> but you know, again, that that's just people from this area and. And that sort of thing. And, and that and the wildlife here, which is strange. I've lived here all my life uh, pretty much in one area. Uh, I haven't lived in the city, even though I stay there a lot. But uh, my home is out in the country. But uh, the wildlife here has sort of taken over, too, where, uh, you know, probably 200 yards from me, uh, we have a nest of bald eagles. And normally we see them in the wintertime. Um, come around November and December, and man, they they out and about, and you talk about they scared the bejesus out of any little small dog and cat, um, and <laughs> and so, man, they they were out in force about a couple of weeks ago, and you know I've seen more bobcats and and coyotes and and that sort of thing, and I, I live very very close to uh um. Uh, land where they uh, have probably about 450 head of Angus cattle and horses and everything else. And, uh, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, almost the wildlife taking over a little bit one way or another. And uh, so back-to-back mornings, I had a, a donkey wake me up at 530 in the morning to tell me that <laughs> – that he had demolished a bobcat that got he got in the field, and I, you know, listen, I blame it a little bit on myself because of the fact that I go feed them. Uh, you know, if I have anything, you know, spare wise bread or whatever, and I go feed the the four of them, and they watch over uh, almost, I would think, four hundred and fifty head of uh, Angus cattle, and they have horses and everything else. And these four donkeys, they got no fear of that. <laughs> 
none. I mean, so this big bobcat, he just so happened, he got into the field. And uh, he caught an uppercut. And, I mean, it it, it caught him but good. And uh, he didn't he didn't make it. Put it to you that way. <laughs> so uh, 5.45 in the morning, I can hear uh, this female donkey. And she is hollering and hollering and hollering. And, you know, my wife tells me, she said, go feed your child, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, man, it's 545. Because normally she, she'll holler at mid-afternoon for me to go feed her. But never that early in the morning I go out there. And sure enough, man, she didn't. She has slammed this bobcat in the ribs and broke every rib uh, on it. I, I put my gloves on. I called the guy who has the, the pasture. And I said, you know, I hope you get rid of him because, you know, she was like, hey, listen, he's not supposed to be here. You got to get rid of him one way or another. So we picked him up. Um, actually, he weighed uh, 78 pounds. We put him on a scale, that bobcat. And so, uh, but he, he made one fatal move, and uh, she caught him with a back hoof. Man, and, and believe me, the next morning, guess what? The, the second one goes down. Oh, really? That's the second one. She clipped and clipped upside the head. Uh, didn't catch him in the ribs, but caught him alongside the head and smashed his head in. And, um, you know, when I got there, uh, she she was hollering again. He, he had... Um, he had passed for some time because he was pretty cold. Uh, <laughs> the other one, I was still fairly warm, but this one here was, was sort of cold. And uh, she just wanted to let me know, whoever you got to call, come get him. You know, he ain't supposed to be here, <laughs> and, you know. And so, you know, you know, my daughter's like, oh, dad, uh, why did they go back? And I said, well, you know, you got to understand stuff. You know, it's not like that bobcat got a cell phone. He's calling up the other bobcat <laughs> and say, hey, listen, you can't come in this yard. <laughs> they got some bad donkeys here. But yeah. Uh, so it, they sort of take it over. And now, uh, even this morning, uh, I saw uh, there's a big uh, female uh, eagle that's been passing by and it's um my mom's former house uh she she's in a nursing facility but uh, uh we still have the home and uh sure enough she's, it, it's in a tree at, at our house which is uh, about a little over it's one street away from me and sure enough uh, she's sitting in that tree and uh she's the baddest cat in the, the bunch put it to you that way i tell you like a those, 747. Yeah, those eagles are majestic, but when you get near them a little bit, you you get a chill up your spine. I mean, you realize you are uh, you're messing with a predator. Well, put it to you this way: they almost have an aura around them that they know you can't mess with them, and uh, you know, and if you're dumb enough to mess around with them, they'll charge you with every crime since Lincoln shooting. So, you know, they, they sort of have this feel as though you're not going to mess with me. I'm going to do what I want. And, uh, you know, if you've got a small dog or a, dog, a small cat, you know, you, you best pick them up because um, she's big enough. She can grab them and take off. I saw uh, there's sugar cane uh, directly across from me near David Tom's golf course. And um, at Latour, which is across the bayou from where I live, and one morning I see her, and she's got, you know, it looked like to me uh, either a small rabbit or 
uh, uh, big mouse or big rat, whatever. <laughs> she had him in tow and, and taking him back. Uh, so, you know, she's uh, she's big enough. I saw her actually pull a, a, a fish out of the, uh, we have a levee system here. And the water never gets high. And, you know, and the, the little uh, kind of colored uh, goulet that they have. And uh, I saw her pull a fish out of there and a, and a pretty good size one. And she just sort of threw him up on the bank and was like, okay, you can swing around all you want. You ain't getting back in that water. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I got lunch for the day. You know, that was, that was a deal. I got, I got, I don't fish for lunch. But uh, yeah, it, it's sort of strange uh, that, uh, you know, every once in a while you would see it. But for me to see it back to back mornings, to see the Eagles out during the uh, spring period, which is unusual. Uh, here we see them a lot during the fall period but it's unusual so you know there's not as much activity so i guess that deal is man listen let's let's rock and roll with all this you know we uh <laughs> we gone so, it's a crazy world it is it is for sure um all right, along those lines we'll get to the nfl in a minute you you are uh You've always struck me as as one of the more rational kind of people when it comes to stuff like this. We've never really dealt with anything like this. The 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 big conversation, of course, in in the sports world. I'm sure you guys have had it down there in, in the New Orleans area, just like anyone else has. Is you know, uh, what do we look like in terms of in terms of when sports come back? Uh, do the you know do the Hornets finish a season? And then the the more compelling conversation, of course, is you know when does football start? I was reading uh, Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback, and I guess he's with NBC Sports Talk now. He used to be with SI forever. And I noticed that his verbiage had changed a little bit about uh, you know precisely what it is that we might be looking at. He talked about how it was sort of his educated guess that some NFL teams had, had begun to discuss 12 and 14 game schedules, that uh, he was referencing – uh, Joe Burrow, of course, the former LSU quarterback, who will certainly be almost certainly be the first pick in the draft on on Thursday. Talking about how you know August at the earliest before Joe Burrow gets in contact with AJ Green and some of the, the the receivers that he'll work with there in Cincinnati. It was just kind of an interesting tone change for King, I thought, and so I thought I'd start with you here with with just kind of what do you hear about. Uh, when people believe sports will come back, and then kind of what is, what is your thought process there? Yeah, it's the first time I've heard, uh, you know, I had this conversation with Coach O that, uh, listen, we may be playing in front of an empty stadium. You know, the games go on. Uh, he said, you know, listen, that TV money is, is hard to say, hey, listen, I don't want it. Not in this time, you know, you know, come on to have your athletic department rolling. Uh, you, you, that's going to happen. Even if it's in front of a, you know, an empty stadium. Uh, I do think that we're going to see that. And I, and I would agree with Peter. I think it, you know, it's hard to gauge this because there is no blueprint. And so we're doing this sort of one day at a time, a week at a time. Uh, but, but I could see some return to a certain extent back, you know, toward the end of August, uh, where you would see that. But I think there is a reality check that we may not be in stadiums, uh, you know, full stadiums or, or anyone in a stadium early on. The fear of, of, of something 
you know, a second round of this. And so, you know, just we got to just be smart about it. Listen to the people, you know, listen, I, I went to a couple of colleges for engineering, but, you know, my direct knowledge of this isn't medicine. So uh, listen to the people that know what they're talking about. And they're not always going to be right, but they're right a lot more than if you go on the Internet and read some of the stuff you read there. You know, if that's what you're going by, then, partner, you, you know, you leading yourself down astray here. And you just can't say we'll open everything up back again. It, that's, it's not a switch. You can't do it. And there are certain sections that you can, you would be able to at least start. And there are some areas that you just can't. And everybody's a little bit different in the communities you live in. But I think there is a reality check here uh, for sports in that I think we'll see it return in the summer, late in the summer months. But it may not it's not going to be what we're used to. Uh, you know, we're, there, that social distancing can only, you know, it's only going to be a certain extent. And we may be seeing this in front of. Uh, it'll be more of a TV game. I, and I'll never forget something Jim Finks told me uh, when he was general manager of the Saints. This had to be 88. And he was like, Mike, one day, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is going to be just a strictly a TV game. I, you know, I've thought about that so many times. I, and it's not that Jim looked into the crystal ball and saw it, but I think, you know, he said, you know, I, I can't tell you I don't know how the conversation. Oh, I know what it was. He he brought up about hurricanes and and about how this area because he had never been in an area where it had been affected. You know, he had he had living he was living out in Chicago. He had been a GM of the Minnesota Vikings, and so for him, you know, to be under a hurricane watch, he was like, you know, somebody got to explain to me what all this is. You know, I don't. He said, you know, I, I, didn't, I don't know anything about this. And so I was going through a few things that had happened when I was younger, and we had went a long stretch. We hadn't gotten any from this area. Uh, or if we had any, it really wasn't major. And, uh, you know, he said, listen, I, I don't know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, but he said, I, I just have a feeling one day we're, we're going to be in a situation where this is just going to be strictly for TV. And, you know, I, I thought about that many times over the last few weeks that, you know, his look into that crystal ball and it, ha it w I don't, you know, he didn't bring up anything about a virus or anything, but, you know, maybe <clears throat> that was something he was trying to tell me in those comments about that. And uh, I, I do think at least early on, we'll, we'll probably be in that situation where uh, you, you're going to, you're going to have sports, but it won't be in front of anyone. It'll be strictly a TV game. And you talking about the amount of money that's being shelled out for television and what it does to these programs. Uh, I sort of believe that's, that's where we're headed. The Oxford Exxon Podcast is also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust, based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, 
study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. When this is all over, everyone is going to want to get away. They're going to want to get out of town, get out of their homes. They're going to want to go on a vacation, and you want to book one that will create a lifetime of unique memories, and that's where John comes in. He's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows John to supply his clients with added values and unique benefits that are simply not available to other travelers. All you do is you give him a call, you give him an email, and uh, you give him some parameters, you give him a budget, and uh, he'll give you options. You don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services, and uh, he's great at what he does. He'll take great care of you. 901-494-3387, or send him an email at jedwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with a personal touch. OUB offers its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa. And with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also have a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest. As long as you keep $10,000 in the account, it comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group. They're dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking and cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901-365-3447 or email ben, that's B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. Whitney sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes, 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. You know, I, I, it's not that I, I disagree with, with Ed. I, I, I typically I find myself, uh, I've had this conversation with a lot of people about the college game. By the way, I agree with you 1,000% about the NFL. I think the NFL, if they can figure it out, even if it's for TV only, they will they will play. Games go on. The games go on. The college game, there's two things that are really interesting, and I've had this conversation with a lot of different people over the course of the last few days because I've, I've caught myself, frankly, Mike, being a little obsessed with it. And and uh, the two things that, that, that stick out, one is these university presidents at some point middle of June-ish, have got to make a call. They've, yep. got, they've got to say either, hey, 
It's just not safe for us to. Let's take LSU for example. I'm a, I'm a Louisiana boy. We'll take LSU. You're talking about what? About thirty-two thousand students there in Baton Rouge. So you say it's safe for us, or it's not safe for us to bring these thirty some odd thousand plus students from all over Louisiana, from all over the South, from all over the country, from different countries uh, to Baton Rouge to uh, to to live in dorms to attend classes some of those big 100 and 200 level classes are 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 several hundred students in a class you're saying okay we if if we deem that to be safe then i'm with you if if that happens then yeah i think i think at that point you're saying it's safe for masses to convene what's going to be interesting to me is if you see some university presidents in june say just not ready to do this we're going to go online only at that point i think we're talking about a spring football season at the college level and i don't think there's really any way around it and hey listen i hope i'm wrong i hope ed orgeron is right and and others are right that no they'll figure out a way to do it in that scenario to me that's the key and i've had more and more people tell me they think it's all or nothing in the fall that it's either we're going to figure out a way to do it. Like Cecil Hurt had a great column in the Tuscaloosa News. You're familiar with Cecil's covered Alabama for years and yep. years. He was talking about how the people at Alabama are like, hey, you know, look, if if you tell us we got to socially distance in the stadium, here's here's this program, much like LSU, much like Auburn, Georgia, uh, that that have you know eighty thousand season ticket holders. How do you tell? These 60,000, hey, you can't come. You 20,000 can. And then how do you police them in the stands? Yeah. You, you can't. And, and, and if you're asking law enforcement, hey, we need you to come to the stadium on this Saturday and not only protect everything, but we need you to watch people and make sure they don't get excited and high-five one another when Alabama scores a touchdown or when LSU scores a touchdown or whatnot. It, it, it's, it's a little much to ask. It's why, like you said, and you, you're exactly right, there is no blueprint for this. Nobody was prepared for this. There's no – there's the, it were uncharted waters, and, and no one really knows what's going to happen at the college level where you also deal with this dynamic of these are unpaid student-athletes uh, – and if it's not safe for their friends and family to attend the game, and it's not safe for the student bodies that they represent to attend the game, then how is it safe for them to play the game? At the pro level, it's a different thing because obviously the NFL has the NFL Players Association. The NBA has the NBA PA, the Major League Baseball uh, you know, Players Union. There's a, there's a way to represent their their desires. There's a, a bargaining table, if you will, for them to go to and, and, and reach a deal that is at least satisfactory on some level to everyone involved. There's really no one representing the college athlete. So it, it's... It's going to be fascinating to see the first thing, the first clue we're going to get. Everyone keeps talking about July and August. The first clue we're going to get is no later than the middle of June when these university presidents have to make a call one way or the other to say, yep, we're going to have in-person instruction at the University of, of, of Mississippi, at the University of Arkansas, or we're going online only. And if you hear the words online only, that is the end of the football season from a college perspective. Yeah. You know, one of the things, as not predicting it, he, we, we were just sort of going through different scenarios. Sure. And, you know, one of the things he brought up is, okay, what happens if, you know, we have a Pac-12 team on our schedule? 
and the Pac-12 decides we're not doing this this fall. But the SEC decides they will. You know, kind of where you caught with that. Yeah. And, you know, another thing he brought yeah, up is, you know, point. and he's like, Mike, I'm just telling you, you know, I don't, you know, you're a lot smarter than I am about this. But, you know, from what I've seen, you know, they're talking about maybe uh, like a second little. The thing is going to be about, dude, can they come up with a vaccine? And I think that that's going to be the real key to all of this. If the vaccine comes through fairly quickly, and, and no, normally that's not something that happens fast. Right. Though I do think that once uh, Americans and everybody kind of get together, they, they normally do a really good job with it. But still, if you say, okay, we're going to do this in the spring. Well, normally we all know this, that during the springtime, that's probably the worst time. Um, and you know, and I've gotten much more educated about it because my mom's in a facility, uh, today that, uh, you see a lot more people coming down with flu, uh, really bad cold. And, you know, and on people of a certain age, man, that's devastating for them. Really, really tough. So, you know, they're predicting the same sort of thing that you might have a little second wave come yeah. springtime. So, yeah. so what tells me? that it's going to be that much safer in February than it will be in October and November. I, I, and I get people's point about it. Will this push it back? Well, it can only be because of the way the semesters are. You know, you can't overlap. So you're going to that, – that's all difficult calls uh, all across the board. And so I think the key is going to be is uh, when – they can come up with a vaccine when you're going to make that call and and certain areas of the country uh you know i have friends of mine that live not far from me that they're working out montana and in south dakota yeah uh because of the all fuel business you know their deal is man have we took a double dip here you know we we work in there they came back home once everything started to shut down and now the all prices and gas prices are down to nothing so, you know, do you return back to that job? Is that job still going to be open uh, for you, everything else? And because down here, that job doesn't exist anymore. Not when you can pay a dollar something for a gallon of gas. But up in the Dakotas and Montana, you can, you can still work. Do you want to go back there? And now it's cross. Now you're starting to cross. The people that are working there, they're not from Montana and the Dakotas. They're people from Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, New yeah. York, California, Arizona. So it's not like, okay, we're going to go back. We're going to be safe. Look the people you're working with. They're not from there. You know, very few of them are from there. That's why, you know, a large contingent came from here to go. Uh, to that area because of the work that that was available. So, man, that there's a lot of stuff involved here that's that's really technical, and that's that you almost taking this day to day. Really are, and you know, I've talked to a couple of doctor friends of mine, and that thing is, you know, every day there seems to be something. Either it's good or it's bad. It's a, you know, not every day is bad, but you know, it's it's either good or bad. That that's a different direction. And yep. where does this all lead to? Yep. No one can predict this. No, you're and exactly do we right. over and do we overreact? Because I think sometimes in life the worst fears for us is not reaction but overreaction to something. 
you know. And and if your life's been touched by, you know, people that you know that's gotten it and you've went through that death with them and that sort of thing, you feel a lot differently than somebody that, oh, well, I just see the statistics on TV. You know, it's, that's a different world. Oh, that's no, a, no question that's about it. That's a totally, it. totally different world. Yep. And, you know, I, 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 I get that completely because, uh, again, to, to have people around me that have passed away. And, and like I said, I knew it. I just knew this area was going to get hit with it once it started just because of the fact of the way the community is and the underlying issues that are involved with it that once you get it, <clears throat> you know, something else could go wrong and so we we just unlucky in in that sort of deal and um does it change our our lives forever in the way we sort of socially greet one another people say well it'll change it forever well if you've done something for a long time it's hard to change a habit it's hard to change yeah, that been, habit of somebody of a certain age. You've been they, shaking hands and hugging people for what? I mean, you know, <laughs> a long time. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, your, people come up to you, and I, I catch myself doing it a couple of times where my my right hand instinctively kind of starts to move, like, "Hey, good to see," you. and then you grab it. You know, you're like, "No, you can't do that." But I I do wonder, you know, at what point when. You know, when you see people that you haven't seen in a while, are you going to shake their hand? Are you going to hug them? Or are you, you know, it just, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we, we walking down again a road that we haven't traveled. And so we're just gonna, <clears throat> I think, sort of take it, uh, one day at a time just to see how this all works out. Uh, I know, man, you know, I worked for so many years with Buddy Diloberto, and I remember after 9 11, um, we we started back doing sports talk uh, fairly quick. And, you know, one of the things he told me is, you know, Mike, sports has always been that, that soothing ointment on things for, for a lot of people. And when we and this is why we, we got to get back to this. And, and Buddy told me at that time, you know, the worst thing I, I see about this is the overreaction to something that happened that, you know, and we didn't know every detail. Now we know a lot more sure. about what happened that on 9-11 leading up to it. And he, and he sort of made the call. He said, I'm just telling you, this wasn't something that, you know, seven or eight guys figured out yesterday. Hey, listen, this is what we're going to do. This has long been in the planning stages. And so, you know, it's, you know, it's, we sort of dropped the ball here. You know, and not picking something like this up. And it's sort of the same way, I guess, when you start to see something like this happen where all the telltale signs were there and we just were distracted in, in other things. Yep. And it, we didn't go down that, that path. So um, let's not get distracted with this and let's not get overreactive. Uh, about certain things and, and let the ex let the people that know what the hell they doing and what they're talking about, let them make these calls. Uh, we can say we know, but you know, my grandfather, he was in the horse racing business and he always, you know, and every, he always had buddies of his that would go to these claiming horse races and man, they had the next secretariat. You know, every one of them, uh, you know, man, look how beautiful that horse is. And out in the field, he did look beautiful, but he couldn't run worth a lick. 
and he and my grandpa would always tell me, he said, Mike, he said, Baby, he said, the worst thing about life is somebody knowing a little bit about something. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. Yeah. You know a little bit about it, but you don't know a lot. There's a difference between knowing a little bit and knowing a lot about something. And I'll never forget, he would always tell me that. He said, look at that. They didn't spend money on all kind of horses. And he said, not a one of them can run with a lick. He had one of them that was beautiful. Uh, he had a pasture right next to where my grandfather had. It was one of the most beautiful horses I had seen. They bring him out in the track, and he just refused to run. And, you know, because I've had so many geniuses tell me, oh, well, all claiming horse races are the same. They thoroughbreds. Yeah, but not all thoroughbreds are the same. You know, you bring him that cat out on the track, <laughs> you know, he just basically refused to run. I I'm not going to do it. Now, when he wanted to, he would run. That was the reason why he was in that claiming horse race, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he looked nice. But, boy, that was the reason he was in that claiming horse race because, uh, Believe me, you bring him out in the track, he couldn't run. You know, that it was a 12-hard field. He finished 13th. I mean, you know, the <laughs> next race was going, and he was still running, <laughs> trying to get there. But he looked nice. He, he looked nice finishing last. You know, you, you bring up something that Buddy said years ago about the healing power of sports. Yep. After yep. after 9-11, I can remember, uh, you know, the, the – the, there was a Braves Mets game at at the old Shea Stadium, and Mike Piazza hit a home run. That yeah. even to this day, you know, some of the Braves were like, "Yeah, that was that was fitting," you know. And we remember the World Series, and it, it was in New York, and and the Arizona Diamondbacks, and we saw the president President Bush at the time come out and throw out the first pitch, and there was this patriotic thing about it. I'm a Cubs fan. I'll never forget Sammy Sosa running out hitting a home run and, and running around the bases with the American flag in his hand. You live in an area where, I mean, God, Katrina just devastated New Orleans. There's no other word for it. It was, it was catastrophic. And one of the things that really brought New Orleans back, I think spiritually, was the Saints and, and the, the way people rallied around, uh, returned to the Superdome and, and that, that, that game. And LSU did it first. Yeah, 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 you're right. And, and, and it's so much. And so I, I catch myself. It was funny last night. Um, you know, the last dance, the the documentary about Michael Jordan, the great Michael mm -hmm. Jordan came out. ESPN released the first two episodes of it, and the ratings, I'm sure, are off the charts. Twenty, oh, I'm sure. Can you imagine? Twenty five of the top thirty Twitter trends were about the documentary about Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and all of that. And there's a quote today from Roger Goodell about this weekend's NFL draft, where he says, "quote." I believe that this draft in particular is about hope. It restores hope for every fan, for every club, for the teams itself in the sense of we have new players coming in, we have new hope, this can turn us around, this can be the answer to get us to the Super Bowl. Those things, I think, are really critical in our game. But beyond that, I really believe that football does a great job of bringing communities back together again and giving them a diversion at a time when people are really looking for something positive and looking toward the future and looking to be inspired, end quote. You know, no matter what you think about Roger Goodell, he nails it there. There will be so many people Thursday night that will tune in to the NFL draft because it's real sports. It's about people now. And even though we don't know when Joe Burrow is going to put a Bengals uniform on and and take the field at, at in Cincinnati or, or wherever the Bengals open the season – 
there, there, there is hope in hearing, hey, with the first pick in the NFL draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select Joe Burrow, quarterback LSU, right? I mean, that, that, that's going to give us something where we go, okay, we're, we're, we're getting to the other side. Even if that's a little bit of false hope, it's real hope for a minute. The Oxford Exxon podcast is brought to you in part by Dead Soxy. If you're already a Dead Soxy customer, first, thank you. Secondly, here's all you have to do to uh, introduce more people to Dead Soxy and get free Dead Soxy stuff of your own. Uh, take your personal referral code from Dead Soxy, send it to your friends and family via email, text, or social. And uh, for every new customer you produce, uh, you'll both get $10. They get $10. Free socks, you get $10 in free socks. You can keep uh, earning freebie socks for life because there's no limit on how much you can earn. Just share your link and collect the rewards. People helping people as we all should, especially right now at Dead Soxy. It's deadsoxy.com. We're also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It is located at 320 East Pearl Street. It's uh, the perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. And it also uh, specializes in on-site large event catering for up to 250 people and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. So if you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, a rehearsal dinner, or a wedding reception, you want to be able to enjoy the moment. And the Iron Horse Grill is your answer. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250 to 500-person wedding or even a 3,500-person gala. It's one of the largest Beverage caterers in Mississippi, it can service the entire state. Call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs. Knock that off your worry list and let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. All you do when you go in and see Gene and Sandy is tell them you heard about Grenada Nissan on our podcast or at RebelGrove.com, and you'll get Rebel Savings on top of the already great deals at Grenada Nissan. Uh, we're also brought to you by Nest and Wild. Sleep better with a Nest and Wild mattress. Nest and Wild is a Mississippi-based mattress company making a high-quality mattress delivered right to your door. They make buying a new mattress easy. Every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, giving you comfort and support that will last a lot of online brands sell an 8-inch or 10-inch mattress with less support and durability, but not Nest and Wild. From the twin to the California king, every Nest and Wild mattress is one foot thick, 100% American made, and the pricing is competitive when compared to the rest of the mattress companies. And in fact, we'll make it even better because we're going to give you a promo code that I'll tell you about in a bit. It's a no-risk decision. Nest and Wild believes in their product so much they're offering a 99-night trial on every mattress, so try it out. Sleep on it for 99 nights, and if you don't like it, you can return it. Nestandwild.com. Order your mattress. Use the podcast code REBEL20. That's REBEL20, and get 20% off your purchase. And uh, your mattress will arrive at your door in three to five days. Yeah, you know, one of the things I'll never forget, this is a Saturday before Mardi Gras. And um, there's a lot of local parades where I live outside the city. And uh, my daughter has a home along the parade route. So, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, I ain't moving. I mean, you know, listen, I ain't jumping around for no beads and nothing else. So I'm just sitting in the yard with the grandkitties running all around me, uh, chasing stuff. And there's a gentleman that was on a uh, float and he jumps off the float 
and he come shake hands with me, seeing me sit there. He gave me some stuff for the grandkids and all that. And he whispers in my ear, hey, I he- I'm hearing. I just saw that there's a rumor going on that the NFL draft uh, is going to be moved back and that the casinos are going to start closing. And when he told me that, I was like, though, all I can tell you is that's the first sign of the apocalypse when casinos start closing. <laughs> you know, that's the last because, listen, Bobby J and I have been at a casino with a hurricane bearing down and they still open, you know. And then, uh, so, but my thought was never they would move it back. I, I never bought into that. But, man, when I, you start hearing about, you know, the casinos across America start closing. That to me was the first domino to hit on just how serious this was going to be. Uh, you know, because it was Disney World closing for me, Mike. That's when when Disney World closed because Disney World never closes. When Disney World well, closed, casinos went, don't close either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, I mean that they open twenty four seven. Yeah, it's a great point. And so. Uh, you know, man, when I heard that and, you know, and I knew who this guy was and I knew he was pretty dialed into that. And uh, I was, you know, that was shocking to me. And not that, you know, because it first had started to kind of take a uh, hold. And just to hear that, you know, it was so jar. It was sort of jarring to me uh, that, man, you know, he, he, I'm saying, you sure? He's like, Mike, I'm pretty sure. And sure enough, uh, the last public event I do, Coach O and I, we had a uh, the governor's prayer breakfast one morning, you know. And so I, I get invited, and they tell me, you got to be in Baton Rouge for 630. I said, 630? <laughs> and, you know, I, I live about an hour and 15 minutes away from Baton Rouge. I was like, man, let's see if I can get out of this some kind of way, maybe. But <laughs> that, that, didn't have, that didn't happen. So whatever, uh, we end up going, and uh, I end up going there, and there's, I see this big guy come walk up to me. He was like, Mr. Mike, he said, uh, um, I need to t- pull you away for a little while. I was like, what's going on? He said, no, coach wants to talk to you. So we go behind the scenes, and he's telling me, hey, boy, uh, I think we had our last practice yesterday. I was like, really? He's like, yep. He said, I think it's all going to be shut down. And that's when, you know, the, the whole thing, you know, by that time already, the talk of the casinos closing. I mean, all this is happening in real time very quickly. But when he told me that, that this is it, he said, uh, I think this is all going to be done. He said, I don't know when we're going to return either. And, uh, man, you know, you're like, whoa, uh, that's when it's uh, um, really, really, you know, come to the effect that, uh, man, you know, we in this hall and they got like 600 people here. And, you know, <laughs> then you start thinking about, man, you know, how many hands I want to shake, how many people I want to, you yeah. know, give a hug to and everything else. And, you know, um, let's just put it to you this way. Um, Ed got out of there a lot quicker than I did. Uh, <laughs> but he had security to get him out. <laughs> I didn't. So, but again, I think it's just a different world. And uh, I think it'll change uh, from week to week and day to day. But at least I think there are encouraging signs with this. And I think the NFL draft is great to, to have where it is. Uh, I live across the street from a gentleman who played for and coached for Paul Brown. 
So, you know, he always brags about, Mike, I'm 90 years old. I'm one of the few living dudes that can say, I played quarterback for Paul Brown. I coached for him with the Browns and the Bengals, Joe Clark. So he said, listen, I got a little bit of experience under me. See, you know, I hear some of these other geniuses talk about you can't pull this draft off. So let me tell you what we used to do come draft day. And, you know, and he would just kind of go on about, you know, scouts. Paul Brown didn't trust no scouts. You know, you know, this was Paul's call. And he said, Mike, I'm telling you, we live in that world today where all these general managers with finance degrees want to try to convince you that they are in charge. I got the final say. And he said, you know what? If I'm a coach and that GM says it, I, I'm going along with you. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, you got the final call. When it comes down to that call, you know, it's the head coach. So he says, you know, a lot of these GMs that are going to squawk today uh, are the same guys that are going to tell you, I got the final call when it's really not theirs. It's the head coach. And he said, you know, Paul was one of those type of guys. You know, uh, I'm in charge. You know, I don't care about, you know, you know what your title is. I'm in charge. And he told me, he said, you know what we used to do? He said it was 17 rounds back then. He said we had data from the scouting department or these scouting combines and stuff like that. But he said Paul didn't trust any of that. And he said, you know my, what my job was? He said Paul would come up to me in about the 11th round and say, Joe, get on the phone. Uh, call up uh, Airport Seijin at Notre Dame. Call up Bear Bryant at Alabama. Call up John McKay at USC. Call Paterno at Penn State. Uh, Duffy Doherty at Michigan State. And find out if that's a guy out there that that's still on the board that maybe we should be looking at. <laughs> so he said that was the extent of our scouting department late. And he said, you know, Paul was connected to a lot of the predominantly black schools. So he said, you know, my first phone call was to Eddie Robinson. He said, Coach Rob, is there anybody out there? But he said, oh, you're the second guy that called me. I just got the phone with Gil Brandt. So he said, you know, it was always one of those deals. So he said, man, listen, we did that. Our margin of success. And he said, listen, I still study it today. That margin of success today is no better than it was back in the 60s and 70s. It's no better than that. So he said, this can be pulled off. But he said, here's the deal. Now you got to rely on your scouts now, the regional scouts. Yep. He said, because, you know, about 75% of the general managers today, back, he said back then, a general manager, he was a former player or he had been involved in the business some kind of way. He wasn't a finance guy. He was a, a football coach or a player. These guys today, they're watching the money for the owner. They, you know, they, they're not on November and December and October watching film of Akron and Bowling Green. You know, you know that they're watching the money for the owner. So the head coach is going to have a lot of say. And he always has. But now I think you're going to get into a draft where he'll have even more, especially early. Even Coach Payton has told us that. I, I know the first 100, 120 players pretty well. 
He said, now, when it gets beyond that, then we got to rely a lot more on the scouting department, our board, and everything else. And so it's going to be interesting how the setup is because I I don't think you'll see too much glitching going on early. I I think that's pretty much settled. I think by now you know the type player you want. You know who you're after. The coach understands that uh, this is about filling needs. I've never believed this hoo-ha about the best player on the board. Uh, All I know is when I go to the store, I'm getting something I need. Now, I I may find a sale on something that I get that's a want, not a need. But all I know is if if I go to the store, it's for a need. It's not a want. Uh, So, you know, I, I hear it every year. Best player on the board. Yeah, the biggest need position. So when you look at it, I think none of that's changed. None. It's just going to be done in a different format. And, you know, for that player, it's still a special moment. The draft is still about the player. Oh, yeah. It's It's not about the setup. It's a dream come true. Yeah, your dream comes true. You made it it to the NFL in that moment. it, It doesn't matter whether you get to walk on a stage in New York or... Or, or you're in, in Joe Burrow's case, for example, I've mentioned him a few times, you're sitting at home in Athens, Ohio. It doesn't matter how it happens. It's, that's, it's, a, dream, it's a dream come true. Yeah, a gentleman that that's, uh, lives not far from me, his family, uh, Meek Robertson, uh, went to Thibodeau High School, uh, was a three-time uh, All-Conference USA cornerback at Louisiana Tech. And, um, you know, we were talking last week and we did an interview with him and he was like, my plans ain't changed. You know, I'm, I'm going to watch this at my house. Like I normally have watched it, you know, with my mom and, you know, we'll have family. And like you said, it might be a smaller group, but I'm still doing what I'm always going to do. I I was never going to go to New York. You know, I was going to watch it here. He's going to be a third round pick. And he's like, you know, uh, you know, my dream is, uh, you know, right now, it's the swing of recruitment. Back then, I had control. Now, the NFL team's got control. So, he's, you know, I'm kind of caught in limbo a little bit uh, with all that. But he said, you know, my routine's not going to change. Uh, if it would have been the same, it would have been what we're doing now. And so, I think for a lot of this is you got to go back to why we have this draft. And that's to uh, fill needs for teams. And it also is the dream come true for every little kid who ever threw that football for the first time with his brother, his dad, his uncle, neighbors, whatever, and they're going to pay you for playing a kid's game. Yeah, you know, you touched on this a little bit. I want to get to some specifics in the draft in just a minute, but you touched on this a little bit. There, there were no pro days. Uh, at least, if there, I guess there were a few. Oklahoma had one, I know, because that was the ESPN crew happened to be in Oklahoma City that night because they had been at OU's pro day earlier in the day. But for the most part, teams didn't have pro days. Uh, the guys didn't get to fly around the country and do a lot of the in-person visits. Uh, all that stuff. Teams didn't get to go work out a guy. That kind of thing. Will it make NFL teams rely more on the actual film that they have and less on some of the the workout warrior type stuff? Will in, and people keep saying this is going to lead to more mistakes? Is it possible that this leads to fewer mistakes? Um, you know, I wish I could answer that better. I, you know, I just think the draft is a hit and miss 
Uh, years ago, Bill Walsh, when he won the Pete Rozelle Award, I got a chance to talk to him, and he said, Mike, the draft is no more than an educated guess. So I don't know if it'll lead to it being better or worse or whatever. I think the guys, it's, there are two groups that it hurts the most. One is if you had an injury, okay, and that guy or that team does not have his team doctor uh, examine you. You sort of explain that injury. And we got a gentleman here in Grant Delpit. It, it happened to him. He had shoulder and ankle injuries last year. Grant could have easily taken the powders. No, I ain't playing. But he tried to play through it. He wasn't the same guy. He was missing open field tacklers. He was like a chihuahua tackler. He was always going for the ankles. Uh, you know, he just he couldn't put a body into you because of the shoulder. So, I mean, okay, there was a different Grant Delpit. He, in 2018, Grant was one of the top three defensive players in college football. Last year, he wasn't close to that. Uh, so... It hurts guys like that coming off an injury. Or somebody like LaVisca Chenault, the wide receiver from Colorado. He came to the Manning camp last year. Uh, really, man, a thickly built guy. He looks like a running back. Um, a big play guy for Colorado. But he's had a labrum tear, uh, a really bad turf toe injury that he had surgery on, and then a groin injury, all within 19 months. Okay, am I going to pick that guy in round one? Oh, oh, man, listen, you better have a big set of coconuts to do it. Yeah, no doubt. Not that he's not that he's not talented, but my team doctor. Okay, I saw him at the combine, but you know, I'd want a second look, you know, to make sure everything is okay before I'm spinning a first round pick on Grant or in Chanel. And, you know, even a couple players here, Robert Hunt from University of Louisiana, Raging Cajun guy, who I think is the best guard in his draft class. He's coming off a groin injury. He got invited. He couldn't play in the bowl game for the Raging Cajuns, couldn't play at the senior bowl, couldn't run. He's still rehabbing the surgery. Okay, now he's better now. And he said, you know, I can send these little snippets out. Are they watching that? He said, I, I don't think they are. But he said, you know, my agent says to do it, so I did it. You know, so it's going to hurt the guys that are coming off injuries. I think teams are going to be a little bit more conservative, especially early on, about when they make a selection. They're going to be um, conservative about that pick. And the second one is small college guys. A lot of times what was happening is teams would bring in small college players late uh, in the process. Uh, many of them you had graded as a late-round pick or a priority free agent. I bring them on, you know, and work them out, get them to see my uh, coach, head coach, general manager, their position coach. If they don't get picked, I got a relationship with them. Now, you can say, well, you got Skype and Zoom. You can do that then. It's not the same. It's not the same. No, it's totally, uh, totally different. A, a, it's it's a, a, t a dynamic in that relationship is lost when it's just electronic. Yeah, and so um, I think those are the two sort of groups that's going to get hurt the worst out of it. And who's going to benefit? The last thing you saw. For most head coaches in this league, they don't have time to be watching games on a, a Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. 
they're preparing for their own game. But a lot of them get a chance to watch a bowl game in that quarterfinal game, that national championship game. Those teams that played late, I think they have an advantage because that coach and that GM probably saw at least a bit and a piece of that game. And, um, you know, what's the last thing you went through was the combine. I, you know, it's the last impression you made. So good and bad, I think that that changed the dynamics. Because for a lot of coaches, they tell you they they watching all this film. Come on, they just passed through veteran free agency. How much film are they watching daily? You know, you can only watch a certain amount of film, right? And it's a lot of repeat stuff. So it, you know, it's going to be about gut instinct. And I always believe this. In any sort of tough situation, smart people figure it out. The smarter people figure it out. And it doesn't matter where they pick. They have a knack for getting it done and for making it work. So if you have a tendency not to pick well, I don't think this draft's probably good for you. If you have a tendency uh, to pick really well come draft time, it's a plus. You know, I just think the smart people have a way to figure it out and to get it done. And that's going to happen this year too. Let's let's talk about just a, well, I've got you a few more minutes. A handful of guys that I'm really interested in in the draft, first round okay. kind of guys. Uh, Burrow's going to go first. It, it, that's it's obvious. You saw him a lot down there at LSU. What kind of a pro do you think Joe Burrow will be and, and how good of a fit is Cincinnati for him? He's going to struggle early on like most young quarterbacks do. Doesn't have a lot of talent around him, but he's a great competitor. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he's wired differently than, than most quarterbacks, I'll be honest. Um, doesn't say a lot. The most I ever heard him talk was at the Heisman uh, ceremonies. Uh, he would always try to get me, you know, if we were one-on-one, hey, tell, tell me a Coach O story. I, I can, man, listen, Joe, you're talking to the wrong dude. Man, don't don't ask me <laughs> nothing about stuff we did when we were younger. I, I ain't saying nothing. I, I was like, you know, man, what happened on the Bayou stays on the Bayou. I ain't saying a thing. So he would always laugh about it. He was like, come on, you got to give me something. But he's a defensive player and an offensive personality, position player. But he really has the mindset of a defensive player. Uh, that that's always going to be the thing with Joe, and I think his greatest strength one. Yeah, he's real smart. He's like a coach breaking down film. He does all the intangible stuff you love, but his accuracy's under fire. Man, his accuracy skills under fire are at the highest level. Uh, he just has a knack for finding that right guy downfield, and a lot of it people in his face and he knows how to get rid of the football and uh, he's a he's a much better athlete than people give him credit for he's a tremendous basketball player his dad was telling me about his exploits in basketball and um that sort of thing and man you know he would just pick up a basketball and start shooting and you know toof, you know you see the net and toof, it's like whoa yeah he was pretty good in basketball so i think his competitive nature 
if they put the right people around him, he's going to do really, really well. Now, again, I don't know if Cincinnati can do that, but I think his greatest trait is his accuracy skills under fire. He knows how to get rid of the football and where to go with it. And, but he really is a defensive player playing an offensive position. Do you think the Dolphins trade up early in the draft? It, it, maybe maybe up to three. Maybe they do a deal with Detroit where they, they go from five to three to, for the safety of getting whoever their guy is. And, and in the event that they do, or even if they don't, if they stay at five, is there a quarterback that you think they're enamored with enough to pull the trigger, whether it's Herbert, whether it's Tua, Tagovailoa? It, 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 do, you, do you sense that Miami's going to move? I sense they would really want to get to one, but they don't have a godfather deal. Uh, and, and I'm not sure. You know, I've got to put this delicately, but, you know, I'm dealing with an 89-year-old mom who's like that, too, that, uh, you know, they get a certain age in life, and you can't change their mind about nothing. You know, they, <laughs> they got their mind set. You, you're dealing with an 85-year-old Mike Brown, and, and Mike's not going to change. You know, he, he, he's done things his way all this time. All of a sudden, that's going to change. You can forget it. It's not happening. Anybody who's got parents that are up in age and, man, you know, they got something they believe in, you can't change them. I mean, that, 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 that's not going to work. And so I think he, he's a Joe Burrow guy, and he's going to go through with it. I think Miami might make one final run toward Burrow. If that's the case, then I'll peel off. In my medical staff... Gave me the two thumbs up on Tua. That's who I would bought. Because I think, looking back at it, he's the most accurate passer I've seen in the SEC since Peyton Manning. Do I have a concern about the hip? Yes, very oh, much so. Of course, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I work with Thibodeau Regional Medical Center here, so I, I, you know, I'm around a lot of the orthopedic surgeons a lot, and they tell me about the injury that you can come back from. And it's great to be 21 years old. You know, you can come back from that a lot quicker than you can if you're 31 years old or 41 years old. Ain't a lot of 41-year-old players, but 31-year-olds, you know, you get that. That's basically a career killer. Uh, at that stage, but 21 year old man, you know, God just bless you with that healing power. So he wins the Bobby Bowden award. And this is days before the national championship. And so I meet to a backstage, uh, he's winning the Bowden award and no limp, no nothing. But you know, my thing is he's seated in the crowd with us. He's got to walk stairs up to go get that award. And my thing is, I want to see what he does. He didn't grab no handrail and no nothing. He sort of did what, you know, players would do. He used those stairs almost like he was running a stadium. Didn't grab the handrail and nothing. This is January, early January. He's doing this. And I'm like, wow, that, that's impressive. That's really impressive. So, you know, if I'm good with the hip, then, man, that's the guy I want. I, I, I like Justin Herbert a lot. Uh, I think he's a good football player. I uh, got to spend some time with him at the Manning camp, and um, we spent a lot of time just talking about, you know, that H-E-R-B-E-R-T, and I work with H-E-B-E-R-T. <laughs> you know, and, and Bobby J's deal is, man, they slipped that extra R in his name because one of his deadbeat relatives were in trouble. 
and they moved out west. <laughs> well, Her- Herbert told me, he said, listen, I-, I sort of believe that's probably true. But, you know, so we went on with, but man, a big, good-looking kid that can really hum the football. He's a really good athlete. Grew up four miles from the Oregon Stadium. You know, so he changed the program in so many ways. Uh, the only thing with him that gives me some reservation is the fact that sometimes um, his decision-making process is not what I would really want, and it's not what I would like at all. Um, that Auburn game late, okay, they get a chance late to pull, just hang one up there and go get it. He threw the damn thing out of the, you know, out of the stadium. I think, what are you thinking of? Jack, you got to give your receiver an opportunity here. You didn't give nobody an opportunity. And uh, I saw one game. It, it was late in the first half. And he's got, you know, they string it out four wide. And he throws one up. And I'm telling you, there was no player within 10 yards of the football. You got to at least give your receiver an opportunity to make a catch. And so I wonder a little bit about that. Now, he's physically, he's got all the tools. I mean, he, he's a big kid that can throw it, and he's a good athlete. Yeah, he looks the part, Mike. Every time I oh, watch them, God. Yeah, every time I would watch them play, I'm like, man, that guy, is, he would be really hard to pass up. And, you know, just talking to him, you know, he's, he's a very intelligent guy, and um, he was sitting right next to Jake Fromm when we did the interviews. And so, you know, him and Jake were probably the two best interviews um, at the Manning camp. I mean, they were really, you know, because Jake sort of goes on and on, and, you know, and he's, he's gregarious, and, you know, he sort of plays around, but he can speak well. You can see he understands it now physically. He, he doesn't have uh, the arm talent that Herbert does. But, um, you know, um, again, for me, it would be Tua. Uh, again, there's too much question marks about Herbert and some of the situations that really shocked me for me to trade up for him. Uh, you know, I just sit back and whatever happens, happens. But I don't uh, – th- th- some of that's really concerning for me about Herbert. Every bit as much as the hip – Okay, every bit as much as the hip injury. If you're going to make some decisions like what he's made at some critical times in a game. Uh, but um, I think, you know, both will be top six picks. And, um, uh, you know, I always think quarterbacks are made by environment. What you got around them. Uh, so, some guys can overtake that. But for the most part, uh, I was talking to Archie Manning about it. He was like, Mike. You know, I was in a bad environment. <laughs> you know, you know, no matter what, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot around me. And I got beat up. And did it break some of the psyche? It didn't break it, but it certainly bruised it. So he said, you know, I see these young guys. You know, they coming out. They've never been in that spot before, and they can have their psyche sort of bruised and broken because you're getting hit. There's not a lot of talent. The you know you making a decision like a jet fighter pilot, man. You know this ain't your backyard. You're not Al Bundy at Polk High in high school. <laughs> you got to make those decisions quick. You know because I mean I get a lot of oh man if I, I yeah you just watch and that's what makes when you're watching a Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Mahomes 
you can see how special they are because they're so quick between the ears to know what to do. And that's and and that's Joe's greatest talent, I think, too. That same sort of ability. Yep. I think Tua's got it also. The only problem with that is um, that that hip's a major concern. Well, that's what me. I wanted to ask you real quick on Tua, though. Is and I completely agree with you. He's got all these intangibles, man. I mean, right? I mean, he he's so charismatic and he's such a natural leader. And look at the way that that he that he, just the the different kids at Alabama, the, the older, younger, that they all looked up to him, revered him. Uh, Saban, you know, he, Saban who d- doesn't put I never a, heard him talk like that. Right, never, never. heard it, Right, and he's, I mean, and Saban's had some really good players. And, and, and he talked about Tua in an almost reverential way. That being said, the one thing that consistently happened with Tua, in, in large part because he is such a competitor, is he got himself the ankle sprains running, the the hip was a was a play running late in a game that was already late in the first half of a game that was already over. Uh, can can he adjust that part of his game? I know that he's he's smart. He's a decision maker. He's got a great arm. All of those things. But is it is it possible to dial that down to reprogram him to a degree to be nope. to be smarter? Or is that just his instinct? And when you take him, is that just part of the gamble? As part of the gamble, you're not going to break him of that. Um, you know, Danny Werfel was here with the Saints, and uh, they had one of these genius coaches with the Saints that tried to mess with his delivery. And uh, one day, after, you know, Danny doesn't, never would be critical of anything uh, any coach tells him. And, uh, you know, so he had went through the deal with the other reporters about, you know, a little hitch in my, you know, in my throwing motion. And we're trying to get some of that out. And we do an event. And, um, man, I've never seen crowds like that about, around a player. I mean, we had crowds that were really lengthy uh, with Danny signing. And he was always so hospitable. So, and one of the, he took a little break from signing. And I said, are they really going to try to change your delivery? And he looked at me and he was like, no. Um, he said, because I might do it once, but during the game, I'm going right back to what I've done all my life. And, and I think that's just the way you program. That's a great point. You can do a little bit of something here and there, but you're never going to change anybody. I think it's just part of your nature. One of the things about Tool that makes him special is, and he does this just like Drew Brees does. He fools you with his eyes. He looks one way and throws it another. And you watch him. You know, he's sort of eyeballing a receiver, and all of a sudden he swings back and he throws it another way. And he got that free safety. He's like a, a cat uh, around somebody who does a lot of rocking. And it's to hurry up and get that tail out of the way before you get meowed. And, and that's what he does. He catches you in that meow moment where, you know, you can start to see where – he looks one way and then bang, the ball comes out real quick the other direction. And Drew's like that. You know, Drew can sort of look off that safety and that corner, you know, he, he's caught flat footed with it. But the, the injury is certainly a major concern if anybody was directly affected by not being able to go to a team or have a team doctor look at you. It's Tua. And uh, this is nothing against Justin Herbert because it's not him doing it. But I think the people around him, his agent staff, they've been working overtime to throw that Tua stuff out. And there's not a uh, any show I do 
locally or nationally don't bring that up. So Herbert's people been working, man, they get no good overtime pay for it. I mean, it, they really have spread that out pretty good and now made this a, a tour Justin Herbert run for the two spot. And they've done it in the last two and a half, three weeks. Yeah. All right, last couple of things. Uh, a lot of offensive tackles at the top of this yep. draft. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, uh, Andrew Thomas from Georgia. There's uh, the the, uh, the Jedrick Willis, I was trying to think of his name, from, from Alabama. Uh, Becton, who had the, the kind of bad news a little bit from his, from his I guess, drug test out of Louisville. Uh, a, a lot of offensive linemen in this draft that people think are, are kind of franchise linemen, franchise tackles. Is there one of those guys that really sticks out to you? First time I see Mecca Becton, and I'm like, man, is that a, a moving house? <laughs> He's huge, I mean, yeah. You see him and how well he can move and run. It's the most impressive thing I saw at the combine when he ran. You're talking about a man who's 360 pounds that can run like what he could? Good gracious. Uh, I don't I don't really know. In today's world, depending on, you know, we sort of – have a feeling maybe what he tested positive for but you know in today's world is that big of is that a big deal anymore i you know i don't i don't know uh what i what i put a negative on is a question is judgment why are you doing that knowing you're gonna have to take the test um but four really good players there um worse you know he's probably been coached by the best offensive line coach in college football in, in Kirk Ferentz. I mean, his guys are so technically sound and smart, understanding what to do. Jedrick, you know, he was the right tackle, but he was really the blind side for Tua. You know, everybody, well, what about the left tackle? Well, no, well, Jedrick was the one <laughs> protecting his, his blind side. And when they need a running play, they were running behind Willis, a really good player. Uh, and I, also, I think the world of Andrew Thomas, good, really good young guy. But, man, he's another big guy, wide body, offensive tackle that can move his feet extremely well. You couldn't go wrong with any of the four guys. They're all a little bit different. But, man, it's a really strong class. And then you peel that back, and you got people like Austin Jackson from USC, who I I really like, Uh, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State. Played with a turf tool injury last year, but really played well. Uh, Josh Jones, the big left tackle from Houston. Now, he's not a great run blocker, but boy, can he protect the quarterback. And then Isaiah Wilson from uh, Georgia, another huge man. Now, he's strictly a right tackle, but he's a real good one. So this is a year that, you know, now I think it sort of dives after that. But, man, those seven or eight guys are really good players. And they're not watching year one. They're playing. Yeah, and a couple of franchise defensive guys in this first part of the draft. I mean, I, Chase Young was just dominant at Ohio State throughout his career. Uh, Jeff Okuda, a lot of people think you would know a lot better than I would, but a lot of people think he's a, an, an all-pro shutdown NFL corner. We know what those are worth at the uh, at the NFL level. Derrick Brown at, at, at Auburn was was terrific. Isaiah Simmons at, at Clemson, one of the more versatile defensive players, could play just about anything. I mean, there's just a, there's a lot of talent at the top of this draft. I look at Isaiah, and uh, I did a show over the weekend nationally, and my comment is this. 
if I had one guy to bet money on that I think I'd be a star, other than the quarterback position, it would be Isaiah Simmons. He's played slot cover corner, free safety, strong safety, outside linebacker, middle linebacker. They've used him as a blitz man. Now, Brent Venable's defense um, is complicated in a lot of ways, and he played all of them so well. That goes to tell me he's not just a great athlete. He's real sharp between the years, too. To understand what to do and where you got to play on every play, man, that that's really a talent to do it. And uh, he's a tilt-the-field type football player. Derek Brown, so underrated because I think the interior guys don't get the ink they should. Derek's a guy that blew up everything inside for Auburn. Uh, as a pass rusher, got to put pressure on the quarterback, stop the run. Uh, he fantastic doing it. And Javon Kinlaw, <laughs> I want him off the bus, the first guy, because if they say, man, if that's a gang of them like him, we in trouble. Um, no, Javon's a huge man that can run the field well. He's just learning some of the technical parts of uh, being a really good interior pass rusher. But he blows up the inside. He's real good against the run. I think he's got a lot of upside as an interior pass rusher. So it's it's pretty strong, you know, in that area. And, and I'll throw another guy in who, who I think a lot of. Only because their offense got all the ink. But it's Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. He's versatile. He could play weak side. He could play strong side. He could play in the middle. Now, they didn't have him in a lot of man coverages. But he was really good in zone coverage scheme at Oklahoma. He can blitz. He has instincts to the football. Great guy off the field. And so he's one of those guys that, you know, when you think about Oklahoma, you're not thinking about defensive players, you know. Yeah, you, think about, the, you think about C.D. Lamb in this class, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so this ain't the 70s and you're thinking about the Selman brothers. I mean, you know, he is such a good football player, and it, it's just amazing. And the other guy I'd say like that is uh, Xavier McKinney from Alabama and that he could play free safety, strong safety, played him a little bit in the slot cover corner. Uh, he, I think, uh, when they're going to look back, he covered up some weaknesses in, from other guys in the secondary very well. And he plays the run extremely good. He comes up. He's a good, strong tackler. He can match up in the coverage part of the game. So people like Kenneth Murray, Xavier McKinney, underrated for what they did at the college level. And they gave up maybe some things to maybe get their uh, stock up to better the team. And I think about that with Lynn Bowden Jr., too, from Kentucky. It was a guy that, you know, he should have been playing wide receiver last year, but because of the fact they needed him to play quarterback, you know, he he did that. You know, he was the quarterback there. and Just an unreal talent, not that he's a first-round pick guy, but I think he's a top 100 pick. you got to give a little extra for a guy like that, that he sort of gave up uh, a little bit of his own stats to make his team better. Last thing, a lot of sense. And again, thanks so much for your time. You've been incredibly generous with it today. Uh, last thing, a lot of Saints fans in my listening audience, obviously it's the organization that you're uh, intimately familiar with. They are 
at least with the Drew Brees window, I, I think approaching the uh, the point where that window closes, he he was awfully good last year. Uh, they struggled. Another disappointing playoff loss. They go twenty fourth. Tell me, uh, give me your your synopsis on what you think the Saints try to do in this draft and what you've thought of the Saints off season. Well, if I could get in the Sean's head, I'd be real good because I think it's his call. I think if one of the top four receivers were there, that's where he would go. But I think Henry Ruggs the third, Jerry Judy, uh, C.D. Lamb, Justin Jefferson, I think those four will be gone. So I think he looks at it, and what's the, the area probably has the, the least amount of depth with and talent with, and it's linebacker. Okay, I got one stud in Demario Davis. Alex Anzalone's a good player, but he's always hurt. Uh, Kiko Alonso's coming off his third ACL injury. Uh, Craig Robertson is a good, versatile player, special teamer, but um, you know I'm looking to upgrade that spot. I don't think Murray's going to be there. I think he'll be gone. The guy that would intrigue me is Patrick Queen from LSU. And that first time I saw him play, he was a running back at Livonia High School, and a good one. And they played him as a stand-up defensive end. Listen, uh, if I had a scale that night, I bet he ain't weighed 190 pounds. Uh, he came to LSU, he was barely 200. He's put on about 30 pounds uh, to his frame. He reminds me a lot of Debo when Debo Jones came out of LSU, who was a weak side linebacker, and Atlanta kicked him inside. He's been a really good player and physically gotten stronger. It's a different look uh, to attack the ball carrier if you're a weak side linebacker or you play in the middle. Totally different look at the world. Uh, and some guys get it and some guys don't of attacking that part. He did a real good job. I thought he was LSU's best defensive player the last half of the season. Uh, man, he was just all over the field making plays. So um, I, I would have a lot of interest in Patrick Queen from LSU if he's still there at 24. If not, then I take a look at a defensive player, and cornerback would be an issue for me. And the fact that I know I've got one in Lattimore long-term. Short-term, uh, Janoris Jenkins is a starter, and he's a starter with the Saints. He ain't never been a backup. He ain't fixing to start here being a backup. But he's basically a rent guy. You know, Patrick Robinson's coming off of that ankle injury. He wasn't the same guy. He's getting up in age. Uh, P.J. Williams played a little bit of corner, a little bit of safety. He's an okay player, but, man, I'd love to get me another guy there. Uh, Christian Fulton from LSU. A.J. Terrell from Clemson uh, would come to mind there. I think they go defense uh, if, the right, uh, if the right receiver's not there. Uh, I think Sean understands – and he talked about speed of the game at the Super Bowl. And everybody said, oh, that means he's going to draft an offensive player. No, you know what? you got to stop them fast offensive players. So you better have cats on defense that can play too. So I, I, if Patrick Queen was there, he'd be difficult for me to pass on. They've, um, for a short term, gotten a guy in Emmanuel Sanders who's a perfect fit for this offense. In the way he's a short, intermediate pass receiver, make something happen after the catch. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins fills the void of Von Bell, who I liked a lot. I think Von was an intimidator, got really good in run support, um, caused a lot of turnovers. 
was improving as a cover guy, but that wasn't his forte. And you bring in a Malcolm Jenkins, smart, knows where to be on the field, but also he can communicate where others need to be. I think they've had a good offseason and, and being able to re-up P.J. Williams and Janoris Jenkins back uh, is a big plus for them. So, you know, the one thing with, with Peyton, he's always got a, a little bit different mindset than what you might think. But I, everybody wants to go toward offense. I think Peyton understands, too, that you got to play some defense and that it's going to look different without Drew. And that means my defense got to play better. Great stuff, man. I really appreciate the time so very much. Uh, look forward to uh, to reading your stuff, listening to your stuff as the uh, as the week and the, goes on, as the season hopefully approaches. And uh, again, like I said at the beginning, uh, uh, best health and uh, safety and all that to you and yours as we uh, continue to kind of go through this really weird time. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. You too. Take care, Mike. Thank you, brother.